listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and if you would please stand for me, or stand with me for the reading of scripture. Here we go. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We cannot live on that salary, and we will never be able to afford a house or be able to have kids. A few years after Amelia and I were married, we'd already been talking about this growing sense that God might be calling me out of a career in the business world. And not long after that, I got a job offer from a not-for-profit Christian organization where I'd be able to use my marketing degree and my business experience to help a ministry that provided supplies for people going overseas to do medical missions. And it was a move halfway across the country. And it was a 60% pay cut. And as wives can sometimes tend to be a little realistic about these things, like I'd like to have a roof over my head, and I'd like to know that we have a home to live in, uh, Amelia was less excited about it uh, because she could not envision on a 60% pay cut being able to afford a home where we could invite people over, where we could hold all our stuff, and where we could raise children. Amelia was struggling with some anxiety understandably. And, and by the way, we talked about this story beforehand, so I have her permission to share all this. This has been vetted and approved. Uh, she had married, Amelia had gotten into this deal with me thinking she was marrying a young, upwardly mobile professional. And I had gone to grad school and got this marketing degree and gotten in the business world, and I was on the corporate ladder and climbing. And all of a sudden, I said, you know, I think God's calling me into ministry. And She was not as excited about being downwardly mobile. And when you think about it, it it wasn't the job that she was excited about. It was something I was excited about, and she did not have much to look forward to and could foresee some problems. You know, one of the unique things about us as human beings is our ability to anticipate and plan for the future, which can be a great gift, but it can also cause problems for us, too. We can create worry at any given moment, not even dependent on our circumstances, right? Like, I think we're probably the only creatures that can be well-fed and safe 
on a relaxing beach and still find something to worry about. Like, did I remember to turn on my email auto-response before I left? And I've got that report that's going to be due when I get back. And how am I going to pay for this vacation? Those kinds of things. Maybe you can relate. What if something happens to my parents? What if I fail that test? I don't know where the rent money's going to come from. What if she doesn't get better? What if they don't come back? What if those people get in power? What if Pastor Jeff preaches long and we end up in a line for lunch at the restaurant afterwards? <laughs> you know, we read things, uh, at least I've been reading uh, lately, stories along the lines of how millennial and Gen Z young adults have much higher levels of anxiety than previous generations. Maybe that's because one of the defining moments of their childhood was watching planes crash into towers and then being in a war that's gone on for all their adult lives and having active shooter drills in school and a social political climate that's toxic and angry and hostile and looking around and seeing the rising rates of housing and education and healthcare and realistically expecting I'm never going to have the quality of life that my parents had. I mean, no wonder they're anxious makes me anxious thinking about it. Now you can share in that anxiety too. You're welcome. Is there any help for us that, that our hearts could actually be at rest with all those realities, with all those worries? Even spiritually mature people experience fear and anxiety and concerns. God calls us not to deny those worries, but to steward them, to handle them, and to hand them to him in healthy ways. King David, with all the strength and accomplishment and success that he had, wrote in Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. There is help for anxious hearts. Jesus wants us, invites us to be free from that kind of paralyzing worry and I think the message from this passage is that our hearts are only at rest when we look up, not when we look around or try to look forward. Our hearts are only going to be at rest when we look up to Jesus, not when we're looking around at what's going on or trying to look forward for what may happen. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you use one of those black Bibles in front of you, it's on page 965 or Open up your phone or your app, whatever you use to access God's Word. Starting in verse 25 today and continuing in this series, Foundations, where Jesus has been giving us this vision for a life in His kingdom, a kingdom of joy and freedom and meaning and hope that looks very different, in fact, totally different from the way this world normally operates. Jesus is actually saying, I'm actually coming to set things right side up and change the way you live and the things that we value so that you can actually have life and joy and peace and a restored relationship with God the Father. And as we start in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, and that's the clue to look backwards. He's referring back to the passage we looked at last week where Jesus has just told us not to put our trust in money, not to put our hope in financial resources to give us security or save us, because money is a rival to God. 
I mean, to be honest, money can solve a lot of problems, right? If you're hungry, you buy food. If you need new clothes, you just go get some. If you want better toys, you just go purchase them at the store. You need a bigger house, you need storage space for all your stuff, you, you just buy it. Money can solve a lot of problems for us. But what if I don't have money? Or what if I take Jesus' warning about trusting in money seriously and I choose not to put my hope and security there? How will I get food? How will I be cared for? How do I know things will go the way they ought to go? Because we live in a big, scary, dangerous world that we are not in control of. And that causes anxiety. We were made to, to know peace and security and who we are and what we're worth in a relationship with the God who created us. But our first parents ruined that for the whole human race, and we would have done the same thing ourselves, when they said, no thanks, we'll figure it out on our own. We'll take on ourselves the responsibility of figuring out life and making sense of it. And we took on ourselves the burdens of being the masters over our lives and circumstances. It's it's a little like, I think, an echo that we see in Greek mythology from that story of Atlas, you know, the, the titan who's holding the sky up on his shoulders so that it doesn't crush the world and him. And that's what worry and anxiety is like. It's just this burden that hangs over you, and you can see the danger up above, and you know that if you let go and if things fall apart, it's going to crush you, but you can't actually take the burden off. You can't fix it yourself. So we numb ourselves, we distract ourselves, we try to insulate ourselves with money and stuff, but our hearts are only at rest when we look up to Jesus, not around or forward. Because Jesus wants you to hear. He, he knows what you need and he wants to give you what is good so that you would trust in him and be at peace. Well, let's dig into this in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, not trusting in money, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on, because isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothing? I, I want more than anything for us to take this one thing away from this passage. Hear this not as a command and rebuke, but as an invitation. Jesus wants to invite us, welcome us, draw us into a life that is not consumed by worry and anxiety. And, and he's saying, think about it. Isn't your life, isn't your suke, your soul worth more than just food and your body more than clothing? And think about it. it what Jesus is saying here, who gave you your life and your body? Yeah, God, that's right. And if God gave you your life and your body, the, those, the things that we worry about, food and clothing, and the body that they supply, God cares about all of it. If God gave you your life and your body, can we trust that he'll actually provide what we need for those things? Can't he be trusted for those things that worry us? 
So what I want us to look at is both the cause and then the cure of our restless hearts. The cause and the cure of our restless hearts that we see in this passage. As we remind ourselves that our hearts will only ever be at rest when we're looking up to trust Jesus. The cause of our restless hearts. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Last week, as I said, Pastor Joey did a great job taking us through this passage right before here where Jesus is warning us about the danger of making money our security, that that money becomes the thing that we hold on to because the temptation is to think, you know, if I just have enough, if I have enough money, if I have enough stuff, if I work hard enough, I won't have to worry. And it will all be good. If, if I just had enough stuff, I could save it up and I'd be protected and I'd know then that my heart could be at peace. But Jesus says, think about this. I mean, birds don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them without them running around and running themselves ragged. Don't we think that we matter more to God than birds? He takes care of them. Won't he take care of us and provide for us? And yeah, of course, the birds have to go peck for the seeds and they have to dig up the worms out of the ground, right? But who provides the seed and the worms for the birds to eat? The Father provides it for them. So Jesus is not discouraging working or saving or planning or being intentional. He's telling us that having stuff and resources stored up will not give our hearts peace, will not protect us from what the future might bring. He's not saying don't store up, literally. He's just saying it's wrong to put your hope in having accumulated enough. It's a reminder that our work is not in vain because God works through our work to provide for us. And our hearts will only be at rest in our work when we look up and remember that God's the one providing for us through it. But Because, listen, if you think about it, if we believe that having more will someday eventually get us to the point of being at peace, how much will be enough? Because we'll always be tempted to think, I, I, boy, you know, now that I have this much, now I can see this danger and I need to get a little bit more. And, and now I can see that thing that I'd like to have and I need to get that little bit more. And, and on and on and on. We'll always be tempted to think, you know, to really be at peace and and let my heart be at rest. I I need a bigger home. I need a better home. I need a newer home. I need a second home. I need more toys. I need more exciting adventures. I need more. That's what our culture is constantly telling us, isn't it? Have this thing. Have this experience. Get that stuff. And it will give you peace and happiness. And Jesus says... It's a lie and it's a trap because it will never be enough. Your heart will only ever be at rest when you're looking to me and trusting that I will give you what you need. Verses uh, 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Look at how they grow. They don't toil or spin, but not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. And if God clothes the grass of the field that way, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, won't he much more clothe you, 
Oh, you of little faith, oh, little faith ones. You know, when I was uh, young, all the cool kids in high school in, in that day and age wore knit shirts, kind of like this one, except the really cool ones had the little polo player right up here, right? When you had one of those, that's what the cool people wore, and if you wanted to be in the cool group, you needed the knit shirt with the polo player on top. Now, we didn't have a lot of extra money when I was growing up. And yet I just desperately wanted one of these shirts. And I asked and I asked my mom and finally convinced her to get one for me. And, and I thought the shirt, honestly, did make me look pretty cool. I mean, to, to get the full effect, you got to, I mean, this is the 80s. So it was, it was a little like this. Yeah, absolutely, right? Take it in. That popped collar. I will put it back down so that I don't distract you all any further because it's, I know it's pretty impressive. That cool knit shirt did not, of course, perceive how people looked at me. It did not change my status. It did not change who were my friends. And eventually, of course, the shirt got stains on it, and I outgrew it, and the shirt's long gone. The shirt did not give me peace. It did not give me confidence. It did not give me acceptance, even if I did look pretty good in it. One reason that Jesus tells us not to worry about what we wear is that clothes can become a way of finding identity in every culture. We look at people and we measure ourselves and we measure other people based on what kind of clothes we're wearing and how nice the clothes are that we're wearing and maybe how much money we spent on the clothes that we're wearing. And that becomes sort of part of a a way of measuring our own value and measuring other people's worth. But the Bible says if if we belong to Jesus, we have already been clothed in his righteousness. We have been dressed in his rightness, his goodness, his beauty. It's a little like the picture of like one of those old-timey kings with the crown, right? Like the guy comes up and he puts the crown on the king's head and then he takes that big red velvety robe-like thing with the black and white trim around it and, and... that's an impressive-looking person, right? Now you know that that guy's a king, and, and he's, you should be impressed with him. But the thing is, even after the king takes off the, the crown and the, the fancy robe, he's still the king, right? Even, even if he doesn't look like it on the outside. And whether we have cool, new, fancy, expensive, nice-looking clothes or not, we are still children of the king, and we are dressed in the best clothing that anyone could hope for, the acceptance, the love, the the glory, the delight of our Father in heaven. So we don't need clothes to make us look impressive, and, and we don't need clothes to make people impressed with us. And it's a reminder that everyone that we see already is clothed in that way to an extent. Every person that you will ever see reflects some of the glory of God and some of his image. They show some of what he is like. Every person you meet is already worthy of respect and kindness and love because they are God's children simply because they're made in his image. And it doesn't matter what kind of clothes they're wearing or what they look like. 
But especially for us as followers of Jesus, that means every Christian, every follower of Jesus that we meet is a child of God, is a brother or sister of ours who is dressed in the righteousness and the glory and the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. It doesn't matter whether they look impressive on the outside or not. It absolutely doesn't matter. Jesus wants us to see ourselves and see all of his other followers, all of his other brothers and sisters as already being beautiful and glorious and loved and delighted in and accepted so we don't need to worry about looking impressive to people. Jesus tells us that our hearts, I think, are also restless because we know things are not the way they should be and we're not home yet because those birds that Jesus talks about will fall to the ground and the flowers of the field will be gathered up and thrown into the oven. It's a reminder that the world is still hard and dangerous and painful and things don't go the way they're supposed to go yet. The world is still broken. We still go hungry sometimes. We suffer with illnesses and Sometimes bad people get away with bad things and relationships fall apart and we're all going to die. But which one of you in verse 27 by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life? Yes, again, work out, exercise, take good care of your body. That's valuable in some way, but worrying about it. It does nothing except actually shorten our lives. One day Jesus will return and will make everything right. And one day there will be no more sorrow or tears or pain or grief or death. But that's not today. And he's encouraging us that we don't have to worry about the reality that things are broken. It doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean we're not involved. But worrying about those things, running after them, obsessing over them, it doesn't solve the problem, it doesn't help us, it doesn't change anything, and Jesus wants us to know peace as we trust in Him. Because we were made by God and we're made for God in relationship with Him, and our hearts will only ever be at peace when we're looking up to Jesus in trust in all those things. Our hearts are only at rest when we look up to him. So the cure for our restless hearts. I want to suggest uh, two or three points of application here. First of all, interrogate your anxiety. Question your anxiety. Did, Did you notice these series of questions that Jesus asked? He's so good at that. He's so, he asks the best questions. And part of the reason he does that is because often I think our anxiety is rooted in asking the wrong questions in our hearts. And then we get stuck on not getting the answers to those questions, and that just fuels the worry and the anxiety. So instead, let Jesus guide us into questioning the worries and asking the right questions. Isn't your life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, in other words, even if I lack Even if I lacked food and clothing, isn't it 
true that my life is still worth more than those things? That, that I still have life and God still loves me and cares for me? Aren't you of more value than birds and wildflowers? In other words, if, if the Father takes care of and takes delight in the things that he's made, those things, don't you think he cares even more for you whom he made in his image? Worry often comes from asking the wrong questions, the what if and the why and the when and where and how is it going to work out. And, and we get stuck on those questions that are unknown and often unsolvable. So name the worry. I, I've had uh, couch, uh, counselors and mentors that have encouraged me with this, and it's so helpful. Just name it. Write it down. What's the thing that you're afraid of? And then keep digging into that. So what's the fear under that? What, what, what happens then? So if that bad thing that you're worried about happens, what's next? And, and then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? What's the worst? That I'll die unloved and alone and forgotten. I'll be rejected. Jesus will never reject me. He will never abandon me. That, that I could lose my job, lose my house, end up in poverty. But my father still feeds the birds, and he says I matter more than they do. That I could experience sickness, pain, chronic immobility. Yeah, that might happen, and yet, not to make light of those things, Jesus says that the light and momentary troubles of this world are achieving for us a glory that outweighs them all. And what's the worst? Death? I die? I, I go home and I be with Jesus. I win. I, I can't change anything by worry. I can't improve anything by worry. I can't solve anything by worry. All I do is just make myself unhappy. So interrogate the anxiety. What is it that you're worried about? And, and what's the fear underneath that? And how, what does God speak into that? And then redirect those thoughts. We, we really have to listen to Jesus here. Because worry encourages us to look at everything that might go wrong, and we end up missing all the things that are actually going right. Now, I've read this passage plenty of times. I've heard it plenty of times. Consider the lilies. Look at the birds. I was really convicted reading over this passage. This is not just like a throw-off. This is not just a little illustration. I think Jesus means that quite seriously. Stop. Think. Slow down. Pay attention. Look at how much beauty and care God invests in something as simple as wildflowers. As a beautiful sunset. As, you know, yesterday morning there, there was a, a doe and a couple of fawns walking across my front yard. That's beautiful. I mean, God does that, right? And he's saying, notice that. Pay attention to that. Even though those things don't last, God expresses his goodness and his care. Look at the birds. Notice how God cares for all the creatures he's made. Think about that. Reflect on that. Pay attention to that. How do birds get fed? How are flowers clothed? They, they, don't, they don't seek after money. They don't worry about where it's going to come from tomorrow. And, and God cares for them. Notice they're their beauty and, and, and the goodness that God pours out on them. And 
see the Father's care, do you think he cares less for you? You're, you're not like the pagans. You're not like the non-believers who run after all this stuff. We, you don't have to freak out. You don't have to stress out over all this stuff. Right? Don't, don't be anxious. Verse 31, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Father knows. He knows that you need them. But you don't have to wear yourself out trying to figure out what to do about the next bad thing that might happen. You have a Father who knows and cares and provides, and, and Jesus is inviting us to focus our heart and bring all those worries to Him. He provides for you. He cares for you. He is good in good times and in bad, and He wants what is good for you, and He wants your heart to be at rest, to not be chewed up with anxiety and stress. Because all those things that, that we worry and get freaked out about won't last. None of them will last, and that's good news, right? The things that we're worried about won't last forever. The things that burden us won't last forever. They're going to fade and pass away too. And Jesus is recognizing our temptation to get worried over things that we can't control, and yet worrying doesn't put us any more in control of anything. All it does is increase our anxiety. Verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's going to be anxious for itself. You got enough trouble today to worry about because we live in a broken, messed up world and there's trouble right in front of us that we can deal with and focus on. So then finally, refocus your energy. Examine the anxiety, redirect your thoughts, refocus your energy. One therapist who specializes in anxiety treatment wrote this, anxiety is the price that we pay for caring about something. If we didn't care, we, we wouldn't be worried about it, right? But that means we can pivot our attention to focus in a positive way on what we care about. Jesus says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think it's an echo back to what he said at the beginning of this sermon, remember? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. That They will actually get what they're seeking for. It's not only a promise that God will take care of his children but it's an encouragement that when we are seeking his kingdom, when we are walking with him, when, when we are asking for more of him and his presence and his work in our lives, God answers that prayer and he will never fail to provide the answer to that prayer. When you want more of Jesus' life and kingdom and righteousness, all of that will be added to you. Because the kingdom is not just some place out there and some day far away. It's come here and now in Jesus for all the people who will live under his rule and accept him and acknowledge him as the Lord, the ruler over our lives. And, and that brings such peace and confidence and hope to us. To, to seek his kingdom, to seek his righteousness is to say, I want Jesus to be the first thing, the most important thing. I, I want to seek him. I, I want to align my life with what Jesus is like and what he says about 
who I am to be and, and what I can look like. And, and he doesn't promise that we'll have everything that we'd like to have, but that we will have what we need for this day and all the days to come. So don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. It, it doesn't reduce the supply of tomorrow's worries. It's only borrowing and paying interest against a debt that you don't want to take on. Our hearts will only ever be at rest when we're looking up to Jesus, not around us at what's going on or forward to what might happen. You know, I uh, started telling that story about this job offer that we had to uh, go work for this Christian not-for-profit for a 60% pay cut. Uh, we did not take that job. Uh, we took the better-paying job. Uh, where we moved to Wisconsin and we could be close to Amelia's folks. We bought a house. We had a kid. We put all our stuff in the basement. We had plenty of room to have people over. And then a few years later, God really put it on our hearts and led us to leave all that behind to go to seminary. So we took a 98% pay cut <laughs> because I was working a few hours on campus while I was a full-time student. We moved into an apartment that was probably less than half the size of our house in Wisconsin. We had two more kids who we were still able to feed and clothe and have room for in this tiny little apartment. And we got rid of a bunch of stuff and, and it all worked out. And God has continued to be good and faithful and to provide for us. And no, we've not had everything we'd like to have, but we have absolutely no complaints. And God has been faithful and good through it all in uptimes and downtimes and all of it. Jesus is saying that the people who are seeking to be in control and have it all together and make it work out are separating themselves from God and from the peace that he wants you to have. That, that's the connection between those warning against greed and, a, and this invitation to get rid of anxiety because seeking to grab it all and make it happen is what produces the anxiety. That's what generates the worry because then it's all on me and I've got to figure it out and what if I don't get it right? And the people who live humbly, trusting in God's provision like the birds of the air and the flowers of the field look foolish from a worldly perspective and yet they're the people that are loved and known and cared for and provided for by the Father and who have peace. Don't try to work. Don't try to worry. Don't try to control your way into dealing with all the things that look scary on the horizon. Let Jesus be in charge of it. He's the Lord of today and tomorrow, and you don't need to be. And when you let go of that and trust Jesus, that's what brings peace. That's what he wants for you, for us. You are secure in the grip of the God who holds the future and writes the future and loves you. Let's pray. Father, you know what we need because you have made us yourself. And you know what we're scared of, what we're worried about. Thank you that you don't condemn us, but you love us and you help us. Help us to trust you. Some of us, or some of us have loved ones who are in hospital rooms or on sick beds and not knowing what's next. Some of us are treading water in circumstances that threaten, it feels like to drown us, at least to drown our joy and our hope. 
Some of us are overwhelmed with little sleep and too much to do and emotional gas tanks on empty. And, oh, Jesus, thank you that you do not condemn us. You do not judge us. You invite us to come to you, to lay it down, to let go of the burdens, to let go of trying to be gods of our own futures and our own little kingdoms and instead come into your kingdom where there is an expanse of joy and peace and goodness. Oh, help us to trust you, Jesus, and to know your life that's true life. We pray in your name. Amen.